Hello, come on in. <laughs> what what office is this? I'm in. This is the Die Rockstars office. You're director priest, is that right? I I am director. I am director priest, and I'm I'm here to help any afflictions that you you may or may not have. Got this weird kind of like um cramp in my elbow. I've been I've been playing a lot of tennis. I don't know if that uh, would have contributed to it or not. Or... I mean I mean it, I mean it can greatly. I mean how much tennis are we talking? Uh, I probably play tennis about like it's usually like against the walls so by myself. So about like, nine to five. Monday to Friday kind of thing. I treat I treat it as a job basically. It's, it's a lot of tennis. It's a lot of tennis, and I'm, I'm I'm surprised that you don't have another job that will like uses your time. But if you can dedicate this, no, of I'm, tennis. I'm independently wealthy. Actually, I have uh, I have rich parents, so it's it's, it's all right. So I can just do so that all day. That, and, uh... that may be the problem. Like hitting the ball against the actual court, it represents a certain amount of lack of purpose. Oh well, I mean, I just came in here because my elbow was hurting. But you're telling me that I've got I've got some deeper issues I need to sort out. I mean, we all have deeper issues we need to sort out to begin with. Right. I don't know. You you are my second consultation. If I'm honest, the first one said okay. it was probably tennis elbow so you so you play a lot of tennis do you do anything else yeah i, I play a lot of tennis um i'm listening to like postmodern audiobooks while i'm doing uh, it uh, and they kind of stress me out quite a bit you know a bit of pinching a bit of dfw a bit of dililo <laughs> the trifecta the classic director what I, is it that you think i have i think you have a terrible terrible case of PTASD. What does that stand for? It stands for Paul Thomas Anderson Syndrome Disorder. Why there would why would there be both a syndrome and a disorder in the name of the I'm illness? the doctor. <laughs> I'm the die doctor here. The die doctor here. You came to me. Is it terminal? There's, a, there's only one cure to watch all of his films and then talk about him in a podcast format. But wouldn't that be unbearably cringy and no one will want to listen to it? That is a risk you'll just have to take. I can't sleep cause there's a war zone in my head How am I supposed to have fun? All my friends are dead I got PTASD Paul Thomas Anderson Syndrome Disorder it's 1977. The original Star Wars has just come out. We're nice. in the San Fernando Valley and we've got all our characters. So should we go through the characters to start with? There's so many characters. I'd say the four mains are the kind of father, mother. It's the kind of the nuclear family, isn't it? So the father would be Jack Horner, who's played by Burt Reynolds. He is a porn director but he sort of sees he sees, sort of sees it as a slightly higher art form I suppose than a lot of porn directors and his main goal is to sort of make a theatrical worthy porn film one that has a proper plot has good directing has good acting as you said he's very much the father figure and Mark Wahlberg's character very much looks up to him he's older I think he knows he's kind of past his prime and he's not mm. like he's he's very happy for his wife he's played by Julianne Moore to mm. kind of go off and have sex with other men mm. maybe as long as it's on camera partly the levels of reality are slightly askew about the whole thing in terms of on and off camera I kind of sort of saw their relationship as this at least an attempt of being sort of seeing sex sort of a lesser thing I guess yeah see that's the the core of the film is trying to treat mm. sex as this very matter of fact thing it's like just this thing that happens and then where the conflict lies is that once you do that for a while it starts to kind of prey on you and you have to find other ways to escape which is why mm. most of them are looking for bad routes of getting money by the end of the film so he, he starts then as this kind of prolific director well I, I always assumed that he was like a relatively big shot in porn but like 
like, as you said, sort of a blightly waning figure. But then we see him over the course of the film kind of accept that these more kind of arty kinds of porn films are not going to be released in theatres anymore, probably due to the invention of video cassettes and the uh, the internet and stuff, and it starts to fade away. And then he turns to shooting in a car by the end of the film. Isn't oh, yeah, it? and that's he's just a, this a, kinda... a very, very depressing scene where he's just with Roller Girl trying to get a random girl on the street to sleep with her. That's the same guy who makes the blowjob motion at her early in the film. Did you? Did, did it? I didn't, I didn't actually notice that. No, I've seen it three times. It was a second viewing thing for me, but I did watch them <laughs> quite close together. But I guess we can move on to Roller Girl then. Mm. I don't think she gets a proper name, although he does call her Brandy. And so, there's a shot early on when they do a close-up of the Polaroid camera. She's put an R over the P, so it says Rolleroid. Did not, I did not it's notice like, that either. It's like a split-second thing. What this kind of movie, I think, really rewards repeat viewings and the level of detail in this, I think, is just staggering. It's one of those films where you can just really go back to. I would say it's perfect. Everything you know why it's there, and it makes you feel something, or it progresses the plot. Uh, there's nothing that's kind of extraneous or unnecessary. Like even though it's two and a half hours, it's still like a very succinct film in the story that it's telling and the characters it's trying to describe. He is one of the strengths of Paul Thomas Anderson. I think he's very good at keeping momentum going. He's got that vibe of sort of like characters just existing in a space, and the fact that you hmm. can keep that and still be very punchy and just. And he, he got the um, he got a nomination for an Oscar for his uh, writing on this film. There were three Oscar nominations for this film. What do you think yeah. they were? Cinematography and then write well writing, I guess. And yes, then... the screenplay was one of them. So Paul Thomas Anderson, who wrote the yeah. film, got a screenplay nomination for that. Cinematography, not one. No, that was not. Uh, I don't know how this game uh, works because I just invented it. Um, think think more in terms of um, maybe performances. I reckon uh, best lead actress for Julian Moore. Yeah, she was supporting actress. Yeah, uh, so best supporting actress for... for Julian Moore. Another performance maybe Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, that was the that was the third one. So yeah. yeah. Well done. And how many of those nice. do you think it won out of the three? I reckon it didn't win any of them. Yeah, you're right. It didn't win any no. <laughs> any of the awards. So let's have a look at what they lost to then. Best supporting actor. You know Robbie For- Robert Rob- Robbie Forster, <laughs> apparently I called him. Jackie Brown, yes. He died fairly recently. He also plays the vacuum repairman on uh, Breaking Bad, the guy who takes Walter White away to his little cabin oh, at the end of... Oh, shit, yes, he did, yeah. The winner was Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting. Think he deserves it over Burt Reynolds, then? I, actually, I think he did do a very good performance. I reckon he probably did deserve it over Burt Reynolds. There were talks behind the scenes that Burt Reynolds was apparently on a lot of drugs while they were filming. I don't know if you know that much about Burt Reynolds' career, but he was a very popular, like, pretty mainstream action star. So to star yeah. in this film about like porn it was a really big turn for him and when he saw an early release of the film he apparently said I hate this film I wish I hadn't agreed to do it and stuff he apparently got into a fight with Paul Thomas Anderson on set and was like threatening to throw a punch at him he's a great part it's a perfect performance but I think that's because he's been really well cast but I don't think he really understands the film he's in Mm. if you get me like the most extreme thing he says is aim it at a tit Eddie." I'd say that's probably the most extreme thing he's uh, privy to. It starts with this very contemplative evening scene, like this one uh, where it follows them around the restaurant. And, like, so you're trying to figure out who this guy is and like why he's kind of this older man who's like looking for something to do, some kind of purpose and hanging out in this bar. Essentially, the, his original vision for Boogie Nights 
was as a mockumentary kind of thing, like Spinal Tap. And then he was going to turn into a longer thing, which was going to be a mockumentary, which he spent like years on doing. And then he decided that the whole idea of like mockumentary had kind of been played out. So he scrapped all that. And that's when he decided to do Cookie Nights. Which is interesting because Hard Eight was also based on a short film. And then we'll watch Magnolia next, obviously. And that's going to be the first kind of one, I think, that's based on nothing that came before. So it's kind of more his own vision with money and like unlimited potential to do whatever he wants. Because even this, as I was saying, had some kind of studio interference where he had at least 40 more minutes of scenes. Thomas Jane's character could have had a much bigger part than he does. The dancer that helps them set up the robbery at the end. He is very much a tacked on character compared to most of the other ones, definitely. It was because he first appears in the scene where the 80s are kind of introduced and that's Mm. where, I mean, you kind of get a glimpse of the underbelly before. Like it all seems very kind of positive and fun. Mm. And then there's that one like split second thing and they get rid of it very quickly where one of the girls is overdosing. What is interesting about it is every basically while they're in the 70s and they're beginning to do their big, you know, they're, they're filming all the stuff and Dirk Diggler's becoming really successful. There is still this constant undercurrent of everything that bad's going to happen anyway. Was it Bill, was it his name Bill Thompson? Um, whose wife is just having sex with people around him. And that <laughs> stuff's already happening. There's this idea that in the film of like the 80s, like this big problem where everything sort of begins. But it's really just the culmination of all the stuff that's really happened anyway. And you can kind of sort of see the film as like this sort of karmic restitution kind of thing, where it's just like this inevitability of their lives. Some of the characters have this whole idea of blaming digitization of stuff and how the 80s have moved on and every and they're becoming these waning figures. No, yeah, but then you do have those characters like uh, Don Don Cheadle's character. We should talk about he's the, he's the guy who starts off playing a, a cowboy. Oh, I love I love him in the, in the stereo shop. The fir- first time we see him, it's like this great introductory scene where he's like, oh, is he in the first shot actually? I thought it's when he's just selling stereo. I can't quite remember. I think he might be because I remember watching this and most of the actors have like or more recently blown up like Don Cheadle is obviously War Machine from the Marvel movies and stuff and he's he's a lot bigger now than he was and all the actors have done that you see all these people and you're like that's a really famous act in the same way like Gwyneth Gwyneth Paltrow in the film before she wouldn't have been that famous then but seeing it now you're like oh shit that's Gwyneth Paltrow and that kind of like takes you out of it a bit but you you see Don Cheadle in this first scene he's trying to sell a stereo system and he's using country to sell the stereo systems to people and his boss comes over and he's like no no one wants country anymore man like and that's like a microcosm of the whole film isn't it like there's this idea that no matter what you can do they've entered into this life they've become sort of tainted can't really get away from it and he does I guess in the end but only through this very drastic crazy scene like he gets turned down from the bank and he goes to to buy these donuts and they show his pregnant wife just seeing Dirk get beaten up by a load of homophobes and roller girl like shove her skate into the head of some guy normal scene where he's coming into this donut shop and he asks for 12 donuts and he's very slowly picking them up and like it's a really cool shot like through the counter and you can see him through the glass and this guy comes in and there's this massive shootout which felt a little Tarantino to me and then he's like in this white suit covered in blood this really distinctive image and they're all dead and then it cuts to the money on the floor and it's like a pool of blood like getting closer to it he's got this decision am I going to take the money or am I going to wait for the police and so he's the one character I think who gets a proper happy ending. At the end of it, I guess it doesn't um, end too bad for Dirk, relatively speaking. Like, yeah, he's back to doing porn and stuff, but it doesn't seem... I felt Dirk's was, like, a, a not a terrible 
Yeah, so I guess we're still doing this character thing where we go through them. So if we talk about Dirk at the start, he's working this kind of shitty restaurant job as a waiter and paying people to watch him jerk off for it's ten ten dollars, isn't it? Ten and then it's like twenty off. if twenty if you want to touch it or something. What was it? Start it's uh, ten if you want to watch me jerk off, five if you just want to see it. And then later on, he's in the car with the homophobe, mm. and the guy's like, "I want to watch you jerk off." And he's like, "That'll be twenty dollars." He's like, "I've only got 10 and he accepts that and it kind of shows him regressing back to who he was before he gets meeting by Burt Reynolds and instantly there's this kind of magic to him and this though like a one special thing that I'm good at I'm able to do is to have a really big penis and be great at sex everyone's incredibly impressed by the fact that just this guy who's like relatively charismatic and like good on camera but the main thing is he's just got this fucking huge long and everyone's just very impressed with him for a while until they're not he's kind of taken advantage of in a way I'd say the whole time even when he's pitching his film like he's doing it for the right reasons he's like i want to make a proper action film like he's been inspired by all these like 80s action heroes to be like i want to be the star of my own film obviously people only really watching it because there's sex in it and i feel like both him and john c riley's character are like stuck in their adolescence and like yeah, even yeah. when dirk is like showing um julianne moore around his flat and he's like look at this what i've got and it's like all the classic like teenage boy stuff you do if you had like the ideal teenage boy house like the massive tv and like the japanese room for karate and the red like corvette in the garage and stuff well and also their like whole attempt to like a rock and roll career after their porn sort of career dries up these completely deluded characters and that's how I feel I might edit in like a clip of us trying to record music when we're a little pissed as well into the segment because <laughs> every time we do that after watching Boogie Nights that's the only way I can see it as now is like just baby it's clearly supposed to be intentionally bad in the same way yeah. like the the action movie uh, kind of B-movie riffs are supposed to be bad as well mm. they have, they're having fun at least and that's uh, Rob, Robert Downey Senior is the guy who refuses to give them their tapes back I didn't know he was an actor well why else would Robert Downey Jr. be called Robert Downey Jr. If why is, why is Kurt Downey. Vonnegut called Kurt Vonnegut Jr. I don't know is he Kurt Vonnegut Jr.? yeah but that's not that's not like his stage name like when you buy you a Kurt Vonnegut book it doesn't say Kurt Vonnegut Jr. on it so. I've got a copy of Mother Night in front of me right now and it says Kurt Vonnegut Jr. But is that like an old copy? When was that published? This was this is an old copy. This was like 75. Did that belong to your parents then? I just bought it online because it was two quiz. Once once I'm earning a little check making teaching, I just want to become a book collector and just buy lots of really old books. They were probably going to dust as soon as I touch them, but at least I'll see them for a second and be able to enjoy them. Close baby, be my lover, nature lady. Up, mother, climate changing and it's burning me up. But it's too much for me. I'm in a funk. Yeah. Now, I feel like Big Nights probably did get overshadowed because it is so out there and explicit. You can see like the conservative Oscar judges at the time being like, yeah, we can't really give an award and legitimize this yeah. horrible film. I, I definitely think it was, in terms of screenplay, I think it definitely should have won over Good Will Hunting. I do like Good Will Hunting, but I think it's definitely not as tight or as interesting. Like, I feel this film's quite well structured. I mean, every, every character in Boogie Nights, like the second they come onto screen, you know who they are and like mm. what they're going to be. Like, 
like when Philip Seymour Hoffman, when he first comes onto screen, it's literally as they bring out this spasming girl who's overdosed on cocaine and is being taken to the hospital. And Philip Seymour Hoffman walks in and you're like, is, is that Philip Seymour Hoffman? And from the next scene, you know exactly who he's going to be. You know he's going to be into Mark Wahlberg and you know Mark Wahlberg is going to be too kind of like, he has too big a case of the non-gays to ever kind of relate to this guy. And I think he's amazing in most films he's in, but I, re- I really like him. I think he plays this very tragic character very well. He's like this bit player in this much bigger story. This doting fanboy of um, Mark Wahlberg. Is that one always following down the corridor and he's like kind of, he lets him go in front down the stairs so he can sit there his ass and then he runs down like to open the door and like be like, oh, I'm such a good friend for you. And obviously we end with him uh, kissing Mark Wahlberg on New Year's Eve. Essentially the 80s is the threshold where everything sort of, the sort of the artifice of what they build up sort of falls away. That New Year's Eve party is when Mark Wahlberg does coke for the first time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And then obviously after that, he becomes really addicted and his dick doesn't work. All very sad. Why, why is it sad if, uh, if, a, if a dick doesn't work? Well, I was thinking more his whole life falls apart, but, but I suppose the dick Dick is, Dick is a representative of his life falling apart. You know, Turing committed suicide after he got castrated because he couldn't have sex anymore. So I don't, I, it's a big deal. That is, that is true. It. it was very sad. So the um the last sort of of the big four characters we haven't talked about will be Julian Moore. She's introduced with Burt Reynolds, but she's not really. Oh yes, yes. She's at the show. She's at the big. She's at the beginning of the and film with him. They they go home and he kind of goes for a drink and sits in the lounge of his mansion and she's upstairs like doing pills like ground up pills and she tries mm-hmm. to call her son oh yeah like don't 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 call this hour don't call this hour and then the next time we kind of hear about this son subplot is when Luis guzman picks up the phone and Mm -hmm. it's the father and they say is is she here is she here and he kind of passes the phone around and sees if she's here and she's she's not that's her one chance to talk to her son kind of ruined by the fact that she's doing so much coke and partying and stuff her essential what she wants as a character is to be a mother so she's a mother to sort of all the people in the porn industry that she works with mainly like dirk Diggler and roller girl there's the courtroom scene that happens it's basically decided that dad gets full custody and she gets no part essentially everything that she sort of works for doesn't really work out at all and then that's that scene where the she and roller girl they're both doing coke together and they're clearly just doing drugs and drugs and drugs and like trying to stave off this kind of like thing that's crashing down on them she says to her like in this moment of desperation like can you just call me your mum? can you please yeah. just be my mother she's like yes of course i can and it's horrible and that's juxtaposed with the scene of john c Riley and mark Wahlberg trying to record their thing and like they cut between mm. the two of them both these men kind of like at the end of their like ambitions and these these women kind of also running out of stuff to do as well and trying to sort of work out what to do when the party stopped we sort of left with the same despair you had before where you've been trying to sort of cover up or do things and then you just can't sort of escape the sort of reality that you've created because you haven't done anything to avoid it and then Bert Reynolds starts to bring in kind of this I, I called him like the discount Mark Wahlberg yeah Johnny Doe and he's the new he's the new guy and he sort of takes over Dirk is becoming more violent and difficult to work with and yeah he's, he's, he's of, doing so much coke and he's like trying to hype himself up in the mirror and get an erection but he just can't and he goes to Bert Reynolds like I've got one now we need to go now and he's like babe give me 20 minutes but Reynolds is so fucking cool in this film like every every scene he's in he's just kind of like like one of the things I thought watching this like over the course of this film which probably stretches about like five five years would you say something like that yeah yeah who, who has been the most happy like over the time and I, I think I would say Burt Reynolds because at the start he's kind of looking for a new star and at the end he's kind of got this family together and like the whole time he's 
making himself happy. For the most part, obviously, there's a lot of bad things that happen to him, but he's much less, I suppose he's less personally damaged by sort of the coming of the 80s and sort of culmination of his lifestyle. Like, there's like his ego's definitely bruised with like the end of film. What he has to reconcile with is becoming this less important figure. I mean, he's no longer the imagined like quote-unquote real director who wants to make these real films with actors and good dialogue that's also a porn film. He's, so I guess in that sense, that's where like his damage comes from. And we have the guy from Hard Eight who makes an appearance in Boogie Nights, Philip Baker Hall, yeah. Yes. When is he in Boogie Nights, actually? He's the guy who, at the eve of the 80s, they're meeting with him, and he says to uh, Burt Reynolds, like, you need to start doing video. You need to stop caring about the art and kind of just get more commercial, because all people want to see is, like, fucking, basically, and, like, easy recorded fucking. Whip it out and get it done quickly, whereas films all this extra faff about it and he has a line about um, liking butter in his ass or something Mm -hmm. like he has a weird kind of throwaway line that you can see the colonel laughing at in the background which is bad of course when you realise the colonel is a paedophile the colonel is a paedophile so the colonel is like the main backer of the the Burt Reynolds films to begin with isn't he and he sort of remains the backer for a long time and then eventually he goes to prison because he has quite a bit of child pornography on him and you sort of get well, that scene where he starts to tell that story and he's like I took a girl back and she took too much coat and Burt Reynolds mm. is kind of watching like knowing there's something more yeah. and then he kind of comes out and he's like yeah and there were these younger girls and he tries to justify it to himself and he's like I never touched them I never touched them I just had yeah. pictures of them and videos of them quite a disturbing disturbing little, little scene for him and then, then he's basically out yeah, like, Burt Reynolds hangs up on him and he's saying mm. like are you still my friend are you still my friend but you can't hear him and then the last we see of the colonel is when he's getting beaten up like right at the end of the film by his cellmate so obviously if you go to jail as someone who's done that kind of stuff you're not gonna yeah it doesn't doesn't work well. out well for you take your time start over again Bob what are you saying you one scene I really appreciated in the film what is that when I first watched it I just found very I just found it very funny is the very last shot where they actually show Dirk Diggler's penis his penis is in a sense like the center of the film really everything sort of revolves around it in some which way which is why connected. I think it's the last the last shot isn't it like it's just mm. gonna the culmination actually, of everything we've seen before is uh, this and I was just I was just I was just surprised I actually like bothered to make a prosthetic no it was a, it was a rubber prosthetic and yeah, he's yeah, actually yeah, said yeah. afterwards that he kept it and <laughs> It was not made of like long-lasting materials, which I guess is good for the environment, really. Yeah. But it's it's now started to deteriorate. So even the even the best penis in the world, Dirk Diggler's penis, is now starting to melt away. It's awfully symbolic, really, isn't it? Nightmare. <laughs> what What would you say? Because a lot of people have said because this film is obviously, I would say, perfect. Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't do sequels, but what mm. would you say a sequel would look like? I'll preface this by saying that I. 
don't think Boogie Nights is the sort of film that kind of needs a sequel. I can't really think of one that doesn't end up repeating a lot of the same themes of the original film, which I know is kind of an inevitability of sequels, but you do want them to grow in some way. So in my in my two minute elevator pitch. So we're in, we're in an elevator. I'm I'm an executive. Uh, I'm I'm Mr. Big Shot. I'm plucky upstart. Walking into the elevator, we get in. What floor would you like to go to? The, the very top. Oh, that's where I'm going. So sort clearly a high class customer. I'll just press the button now. I reckon go in this elevator so much so I know how long it takes to get to the top. And I'd say about two minutes. So that's that's how long you have to make this pitch to me. Wait, did it cool. someone say something about a pitch? Is that happening? It is. So Boogie Nights. Uh, I just right. assumed you look you look desperate, so I assume you're trying to I'm, make I'm, me a pitch to you. I've never been more desperate. Okay. So, so, so the, I'll press the button now. <laughs> Doing like a sequel to Boogie Night, what one way you could sort of approach it is this whole like cyclical idea of a history repeating itself. Of course, now you don't have the idea of digitized from film to digital media you have the idea of um sort of the rise of the internet and sort of the fracturization of the film industry into all these desperate parts that don't really have any connection with each other i guess what you could do is you could do something about uh, sort of becoming attached to these ideas of these golden this golden age of the 70s which was where so you could see and maybe trying to sort of recapture that sort of magic the porn landscape has so changed and there isn't really this bunch of porn directors making films together it's all about amateurs and nothing's really connected with each other so he's this desperate character who tries, he tries to sort of become this version of Burt Reynolds but he's, he doesn't have the charisma or intelligence to really carry it out so that would be the premise of the film what do you think Mr Big Shot? Uh, I think we've still got 20 floors to go before I get to the top <laughs> and I can get off this elevator. That that that's that's my that's my theory. I, I I don't to be honest. I don't think there should be a there should be a sequel to Boogie Nights. You know what, kid? You got the goods. Turns out it's very easy to get a screenplay. Yeah, you just have that. to have the right kind of connections and networking and, and get in the elevator with the right person, and you can uh, you can sell anything, even a piece of shit. So did did we talk about Don Cheadle as a pharaoh? They just cut him in a party, and his whole thing before then has been like, I need to find a new look, and he's yeah. just sitting there as a sad pharaoh. He wants to be a cowboy. That's why <laughs> he wants to be a cowboy. Is that so wrong? Got to adapt with the times, and he tries to do that by going into the past, which was the worst decision. Don Cheadle is honestly probably one of my favourite parts. Him, John C. Riley, and Flipsy Hoffman are my favourite and my favourite characters. And to- talking about happiness, like I think John C. Riley throughout this film, Paul Thomas Anderson said about this that in most films, like there's some kind of arc where the characters turn 90 degrees and they start as one thing and end as another thing. Mm. And he said he wanted his characters not to change at all and kind of at most just turn one degree. I think John C. Riley is just such a good example of that because we're introduced to it. Him, and he's at this party he's like making margaritas he's like talking all he's interested with with Mark Wahlberg is like how much they bench together yeah and then he's like say say how much you bench at the same time one two three and neither of them say anything he's like you didn't yeah. say anything you didn't say anything and immediately this friendship is just formed characters connect so well and they have such good chemistry and he's doing like magic tricks where he like pours the champagne and it's hanging off his wrist and then at the end of the film he is a magician as well he is a magician doing like a slightly kind of pervy live show as well where this girl gets uh, the tits out and it's kind of you can see the appeal is not fully the magic but at the same time that the magic is part of it so he's kind Mm. of made something out of himself more than he's a very much a not tragic character which is rare for this film most most of them are i mean it began with him being basically all right and ends with him being basically all right sort of aspects in between where things get a bit worse but that's mainly just because he's 
following around dirt. And like yeah. while the girl goes through some shit, but she does like she's back in the school at the end of it. I think she gets a GED, doesn't she? Yeah. How would you um rank them in I imagine better than hard eight? So far I'd say as I think you would as well, Boogie Nights and then below it, hard eight. But I think yeah, that's yeah. a big revelation. Yeah. Like I'm 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 very impressed. The fact that Hard Eight came out a year before Boogie Nights, I think it's incredible. It feels like Boogie Nights feels just such a confident film. He very much knows what he's doing in terms of writing and directing. There's no such a big film and there's so much stuff happening, but it's so like well I think it Hard Eight is well executed, but it's so small and kind of safe in comparison. I feel this isn't a safe film. I think he really just threw everything he had at the wall and luckily everything just seemed to stick. And then um like fi- f- final segment I'd say would be like how many things you see here are present in some of his other films as well like the cutaways from hard eight they did cutaways in this as well cut away to the boogie night sign at the start and then they cut away when Doug diggler's describing his mark Wahlberg saying like this is my character's name they cut away to a big sign of Dirk Diggler mm. and like there are fireworks going off as you said the whole idea of the characters changing a bit but not massively definitely like the long tracking shots especially the opening shot very objective view of something like trying to capture a whole kind of atmosphere or scene and not and the thing like when i first started watching this day i compared it to once upon a time in in hollywood and because it's the same kind of idea of like trying to capture this earlier scene i think the female characters in this are a lot more fleshed out than margot robbie in once upon a time in hollywood you don't really see her as a character you kind of see her as this looming threat that's going to happen yeah like she's more kind of like an icon than a Mm. a real person i didn't really know anything about the manson Murders, murders when I watched. I just thought it was this really random. So it was just it felt very pointless until Meg told me afterwards what the actual story was. And another trope of Paul Thomas Anderson is the one the one scene characters. So there's the guy uh, Alfred Molina right at the end plays the drug dealer in like the dressing gown. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. also played the uh, Doctor Octopus, <laughs> and he's just incredible. Like that's such a vivid like performance. Like that stuck with me so much. But he does he does a hit of crack, and he says, "You guys play baseball." What do you think he's saying there? He might be talking about drugs. Free base is uh, the term they used to refer to inhaling cocaine in a pipe. I I did I did not know that. Like there, it's right at the end of the film. They they're all washed up, and they're trying to make a last little money so they pour a lot of flour into a bag and they take it to this drug dealer's apartment who they vaguely know through this dancer and they're trying to get five grand for it and they get there and the drug dealer's really friendly and he's like inviting them in it all sort of falls apart and then as it falls apart there's a big big shootout and he gets the shotgun out shooting at them and it's isn't the reason it goes wrong is because Todd tries to steal more money out of them as well they're all hanging out there and they've got the money and it's like we need to leave and Mark Wahlberg is saying like we need to leave we need to leave and he's like thomas jane goes up to the thing and he's like i'm gonna steal what's in your floor safe you've got so much money and coke in there there's a massive shootout and then todd gets killed so i can read most of the escape and there's a really good like moment with the score where it starts with the same kind of thing it started with where burt reynolds is walking and this is long tracking shot and there's this great synthy score i would say as it's following around and it kind of kicks in and you see all these characters they've made their mistakes and they've recovered from them and they're now mm. just kind of hanging out together and all they have is the friendships they've made throughout the course of this thing it ends up okay it, ends up relatively okay. it does end up okay Addict knows the habits extend. They call you out, so you build your soul around contempt. 
be falling and they'll be all about you it all comes from playing the hands that you were dealt the guys of normalcy is starting to melt beer on my guitar but apart from that it's going swimming I'm, I'm at your door oh oh come on in come on in what's what's, what's your affliction what's, what's wrong things that used to bring me pleasure don't bring me pleasure anymore no it's, uh, I, I won't lie to you it's a common a common affliction i watched spooky nights the other the other day and it kind of made me think like why why am i not like why was i not living in the 70s in the san fernando valley doing coke and hanging out and having sex with loads of beautiful young women and it's quite a simple solution have you not heard of thought of it already no if you want to be better start doing coke and get penis enlargement pills and you'll be fine at least until next week when we watch magnolia and what will i be cured once you've seen magnolia oh which will be much worse <laughs> It's a much sadder um, film.